1: You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And you know the drill, if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended, ad-free and higher quality uh, version of this week's show. And if you're not a patron but would like to get in on those ad-free, extended, higher quality versions, as well as interact and listen live with us as we record, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. And thank you to everyone who is currently sitting in the chat room waiting patiently um, (laughs) to do just that right now. And thank you to Alistair Mitchell for being our most recent patron. Alistair, it's great to have you with us. Thank you ever so much for deciding to join us on our podcasting journey. Uh, We're going to get into the news ever so shortly, but uh, breaking with tradition, I'm going to jump very quickly into a very short email that we had come in um, over the last few days in response to an email from listener Kate about how people deal with their phones being essentially devices of mass addiction. Um, This came in from Rich. He said, enjoyed hearing about Kate's experience of going social media cold turkey. I found switching off notification banners and badges for social media apps to be an effective tweak. When I spot a banner on my lock screen or see the little red dot on my home screen, it's almost impossible for me to resist tapping through to the app. Once that banner or badge stops showing up, the psychological cue to open the app is no longer there and I'm less likely to end up getting drawn in. I have to admit, at first I found myself opening the app to check whether there were any notifications waiting for me, but over time, that desire gradually wanes. Looking forward to hearing other tips. And the reason I wanted to point that out Is because um, I do exactly the same thing and it is an incredibly effective way of slightly disconnecting the part of your brain that causes anxiety and stress uh, and annoyance sometimes uh, from being triggered by apps.
2: I um, also disabled notifications for email and it's changed my life. It does, doesn't it? I realised that I didn't need to know when an email came in and that if I wanted to see if I had email, I could do what I used to do back in the day and open the app and have a look.
1: It serves absolutely no benefit to have a little icon saying 300 unread emails or whatever, because I know I've got hundreds of unread emails because I don't have enough time to read all my emails. So being told that doesn't make (laughs) me any more productive or grateful for the technology. No, absolutely.
2: Um, And I I do think that turning off notifications in general is actually a really good idea. Um, I I just don't see the point of being told every time something happens. And uh, absolutely right. You know, I can always go in and have a check if I'm curious. Well, Pangolin
1: Sandwich in the chat room says, I've never had notifications or counters and it makes no difference to me, Um, which is a shame. But maybe... Other things have made a difference to you, so we're keen to expand this conversation as always. Let us know, hello at techpodcast.uk, what methods you use for making sure that your devices are helping you and not hindering you in their uh, daily ways. Let's get in with the news, Ian. You may have heard about HS2. This is the government's £55.7 billion high-speed rail network currently under construction, which will directly connect London, Birmingham, Manchester, Leeds and the East Midlands, You may have heard of it actually partly because its chairman has said he expects to be sacked in the coming days, less than Uh, like five, six months before he took over the role, according to The Guardian. But... What you might not have heard amidst all the gossip is that two of the main manufacturers bidding to manufacture the trains for HS2 have said that they expect Amazon parcels will be able to be delivered to customers directly at their seat whilst they're on their journey. The Telegraph wrote this week that spokespeople for both the companies um, had said they don't imagine Italy that it'll just be Amazon products either. They suggested commuters could also order their breakfast or their meals from a preferred provider, which would be waiting for them at their seat customers could also order parcels ready for collection at any station they're passing through midway on pardon me, midway on their journey. Uh Canada-based Bombardier and Japan-based Hitachi said they are in early talks with delivery companies to develop this kind of technology uh, according to the telegraph. Now this sounds like a tremendously uh, good idea. Ian, really? Yeah, go on, you're obviously not so so convinced.
2: I just I no, I just don't think it's necessary to have parcels delivered literally everywhere.
1: Yeah, I can tell you're incredulous. Well, let me give you an example of why this might be helpful. So about... uh. S- I don't know, two years ago, I was traveling, admittedly, on a plane. And it is harder to get in flight deliveries uh, from a plane, although not impossible. They do have in-store shops. um, And I'd lost my headphones. It turns out they were in my inside jacket pocket, and I just didn't think to look there. Uh, Nonetheless, I didn't have any. And at that very point, I thought... I wish I could get some new headphones, a specific brand that I wanted. That would have been great. What I ended up having to do is buy one from the inboard shop and I found the whole experience to be, although very convenient, kind of frustrating and annoying that I could only get this very limited, tiny little selection. Yeah. The idea, the, 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 the potential to lose something and then at the next station, possibly being able to, to pick them up or have something replaced, if that is indeed how it ends up working, I think is very, very compelling. You know, and massive. Well, I mean... I. Sure, for the one time it ever happens to you. The one time, yes, but there are always other times. I mean, what I was going to use an ink cartridge example because that's what I used for uh, Amazon Prime for the other day. It's very unlikely that I ever need an ink cartridge on a train. But um, it, there, there could be other examples. You could be on your way to a meeting. You've forgotten uh, uh, something. I, I'm struggling to think of what that thing would be. No, I'm beginning to agree with you actually now, mate. <laughs> That's the thing. It does It does seem like a, I can see what you're saying. I can see that,
2: you know, for the for the example you're thinking where, okay, so you're on your way home, you've forgotten to buy a birthday present for someone. You think, I know, I'll go on Amazon, I'll have it delivered to me uh, when I get man- to Manchester. I mean, yes, I can sort of see the logic behind that as an idea. However, I just don't think I want to be buying stuff for delivery on route. I can't, I can't see any advantage to having it on a train than having it at a destination. And in the, if it's a destination, then you could just use an Amazon locker and, you know, cause they may already have a locker in the place you're visiting. Um, so really I, I'm, I, the ubiquity of Amazon deliveries is starting to wear a
1: little thin for me, I think. Do you remember in about the late 80s, Bill Gates said that 640k of memory was basically as much as anybody could ever feasibly need within a computer. Do you reckon there's a chance that down the line somebody will be doing a podcast saying, do you remember when Ian Morris said there's absolutely no need to have a shoehorn delivered directly to his train seat? (laughs) It's entirely possible. I think you might be I think you might be right. Um, The thing is, though, this is talking about trains, but actually this got me thinking a much uh, sort of a much more mass adoption uh, uh, way of using this technology, which is with self-driving cars. Now, I could completely see and envisage. Sorry, see and envisage are indeed the same uh, the same thing. Uh, I can totally envisage a situation where you are in a. In a self-driving car, it's taking on a long journey. You fancy something to eat. You fancy maybe a new pair of headphones. Maybe your kids are acting up in the back and they just desperately need a brand new Amazon Fire to keep them quiet. And you just order it and a drone, an Amazon drone, which they're trialing now, just sort of appears next to your car and you just grab it out the window or it drops in through the sunroof. You know, that would be uh, an incredibly convenient way of using uh, in-transit delivery systems. You are aware that they have actually already done that aren't you let's for the purposes of uh advancing the conversation say no
2: no Uh, because actually i did a demo in ces uh where that 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 is exactly what they did you would um you'd be driving around in your self-driving car you wouldn't have anything to do you'd be bored and here's what and the demo was this you go in the tablet in the car you go on amazon you order your kindle and a box of chocolates and then you agree a place where on your route where it's convenient for you to pull over you pull over and a man from amazon hands you um a package and that's you done um And I've got a video of that somewhere.
1: Uh, uh, So, yes, they have literally done that. And that's their proposal. Presumably, the well-funded public relations department of Amazon uh, did a demonstration of it at a giant technology conference. I remain sceptical, indeed very sceptical, that that is something that is ever actually going to happen within the next decade.
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's sort of made more sense if you think about it in terms of you're going shopping, you want some food, uh so you you're driving down the m4 or whatever and you think i know i'd like some food to, to go home with you pull into a service station and there's a guy there with amazon bags to put some in your boot and you're off you go home i can sort of see that but again uh, most people are not going to have
1: self driving cars in the next 10 years so it's kind of pointless my wife also listening live in the chat room just says maybe stop just losing things uh-huh. this is, this i mean solid gold advice i would say yeah, it's it's sound advice. In fact, it literally is sound advice since uh, she's listening to us complaining. Uh, well, what would you like delivering through the sunroof of your car um, or as you pass through Birmingham International Station? Um, is that the name of the station? Who knows if you know the uh, name? Yes, I believe so. It is one. I believe so. I think you go through it on the way to Leamington Spa from Macclesfield, as I used to do. Um, but whatever you think you might find a use for this uh, being in the future, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. US electric scooter rental company Lime has gone live for the very first time in the UK. But with electric bicycles rather than scooters and, and this is interesting, Ian, in particular, in Milton Keynes rather than the perhaps more predictable capital city of our great nation. Uh, From Tuesday, this was last week, uh, riders will locate and unlock Lime's bikes with a smartphone app, ride them a short distance, and then walk away from them when no longer needed. This is exactly the same as it works with uh, with their scooters and indeed many company scooters. It'll cost a pound to activate and then an additional 15 pence per minute of use. And this is all according to a an extremely reliable source uh, namely me writing for Bloomberg <laughs> this week. Um, As regular listeners will know, I'm I'm pretty fascinated by the efforts that companies like Bird and Lime and others are having to make in order to launch their businesses in the UK. These are companies uh, about two years old and valued at billions of dollars already, and they desperately want to grab as much market share as possible in as many cities as they can in order to win those markets, a little bit like we saw Uber do um, several years ago in order to become the behemoth that it is today. The problem is it's still illegal to ride an electric scooter on public roads in the UK, so companies companies are trying to win favour in an effort, I think, uh, to change that, but, you know, by launching in different ways. For Lime, that means launching its electric bicycle service so it can at least establish itself as a known entity in Britain and presumably show that it's well behaved and delivering a useful service that customers like and cities benefit from. Bird, on the other hand, did enter Britain with scooters a couple of weeks ago can't remember, actually, if we talked about this on the show. I think we might have done. Um, but it did so in just one very specific place near Stratford in London, which meant the scooters could only be used on private land, uh, which Bird had permission to do. That meant they wouldn't be breaking any laws as the pathways weren't public, but also meant they could start to try and show that people liked the service and that it's the kind of thing that can be operated safely. So that's what, so so that two different companies, two different approaches to winning favour in what could be an enormous market for them, and frankly, one that is crying out for additional modes of transport other than cars and public transports and bikes. The question, Ian, that I have for you is, have you ever ridden an electric bike, or have you ever taken one of our city's uh, municipal bikes, the the, yes. the uh, uh, colloquial Boris bikes? Now, is the attraction there for you to have that electrified?
2: Um, to some extent, yes. Um, I have ridden both a Boris bike, um, and I have had a test loan um, electric bike which I was, um, I enjoyed both, actually. Uh, electric bikes allow, allow you to go much further, obviously, and they ar- allow you to arrive somewhere much less sweaty. So for me, the idea of, say, a, I don't know, as a good example, I get to Waterloo, I discover the Jubilee Lines shut for some reason, um, and I think, okay, well, I'll just hop on an electric bike, I'll arrive probably in not the dissimilar amount of time, and I won't be too hot and sweaty because the thing will power itself, you know, uphills and stuff like that, all I'll have to do is... Uh, just keep going at a, n- a normal pace. So yeah, actually, I mean, I, I I absolutely kind of get that. I think it's a pretty smart idea. I like it.
1: Andy in the chat room says not being sweaty is very important when you're in a suit going to work. And I completely, I completely 100% agree. I mean, I get sweaty enough just doing yoga in the morning and then going to the office <laughs> and that's right next to my office. Um, yeah. and, and and I have to say, I'm, I'm all in favour of this. I mean, I'm all in favour as anyone uh, is who wants to see scooters um, become permitted. And if this is what... Companies need to do in order to win favor. Then, then fair enough. But uh, if you're if you're listening to this in Milton Keynes, or if you're listening to this and, and heading to Milton Keynes, how about you do a little review of the service? We'd love to know what it's like the uh, the onboarding procedure, as they say, um, and the the general experience of using one. Maybe take a trip specifically to Milton Keynes. We can't cover your train fare, but we will pay you in kudos and uh, airtime. Do let us <laughs> know and send us <laughs> any thoughts uh, or recordings, of course, to hello at tech
0: You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup, topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon. And tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a
1: waiter. This week, the BBC wrote that the price of a call to directory inquiries is to be capped. Ian at thirteen. at yes. uh, thirteen. No, not at all. Far, uh, far less than that. Three pounds and sixty-five pence for ninety seconds. These, for those of you who are um, maybe were born after 1990, are tele- telephone services that people can call to get information like train times or cinema listings or directions or how to bury a corpse, um, because since 2008, you can actually ask anything to these services. So uh, I'm sure someone has at some point asked how to dispose of a body humanely Um it's basically Google Assistant or Apple Siri or Amazon's female uh, service. I'm avoiding using the name um, to, to stop triggering them, but down a phone line instead. But crucially for this story, and this, Ian, was completely new information to me, at a ridiculously high price, 118118, 118, that's the popular one uh, here in the UK. You dial that in, you ask your question. It costs £4.50. To make the call in the first place, it then wow. costs you an additional four pound fifty per minute, plus whatever cost per minute your phone network charges you. I'm on EE, oh, wow. so I looked. So I looked up EE's prices. A two-minute call from my phone to one one eight one one eight would cost me about twelve pounds. So if I was calling up to find the time of a new of a, of a cinema, uh, sorry, the times of a film at a cinema, it's quite possible that my call to find out that information would cost more than the ticket.
2: Well, I mean, not in London, but yes, I take your point.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, now, I, I I had no idea these services were even still around, and indeed it seems they are mostly used by the elderly who don't have the internet or, or access to a smartphone. And so um, the number of calls made to these sorts of services has apparently been falling by about 40% every year, but more than a million people still use them, according to the BBC, which is why the regulator is capping them. And that's a pretty significant drop. You know, if you were doing a 90-second call... Um, ninety seconds two-minute call costing you twelve pounds. That's now going to cost you about three pounds sixty-five. It's still a lot of, it's uh, still a lot of money, but it probably. Brings it down to a level where, if you're absolutely in a pinch or you're not calling it constantly, then it becomes viable. And I do think, when I was doing the research for this, actually, that one one eight one one eight has a unlimited subscription service where you can actually pay an amount per month and have unlimited uh, queries. So there are there is flexibility in the model, but for most people calling once or twice uh, a year, maybe it's an incredibly expensive um, way to do so. Um, well, but- it is, and but
2: I mean, also a, a classic example, really, of what privatization can do to a a service because there is basically no stopping these people. They they can charge what they want. There's, I don't know why they're allowed to. Obviously, they're not anymore. But it's just absolutely crackers. It, it, it's disproportionately expensive based on the what it would actually cost them to provide
1: the service. But the thing is, they're probably in one of these positions where something has become so so much less popular. Than yes. it was in the past. That the only way to remain in business is by making changes to the financial model or the, the business model. And, and I think they've done a couple of things. One, obviously, is is, is the prices are just in, in enormous. The second is that I believe almost everyone that you speak to when you call one one eight one one eight is built based in the in the Philippines. You know, oh really? So yeah. So it's out it's outsourced. Um, but the thing is, and to so be it's fair, not
2: even it's not even a UK call center. So what? I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna test it. I just can't cannot afford to, but, you know,
1: is it is it good English quality would be my question. Um, okay, well, you know what? There's no time like the present. I'm going to go and get my phone. Hang on. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this. Right.
2: Ask ask them where um, what time the next showing of it, uh, Ralph
1: Breaks the Internet
2: is. That's a film that is currently showing. How can I help you?
1: Oh, hello. Um, can you tell me the next time to see Ralph Breaks the Internet in... Um, Harlow, England. I'm sorry, what's the name again, please? It's a film called Ralph Breaks the Internet.
2: Oh, all right, sure. Whereabouts in Harlow? Sorry, which cinema?
1: Um, Any, to be honest. it's They're all quite close to me.
2: All right, I'm checking further. One moment, please. Is it for today?
1: Yes, please, this evening.
2: Thank you. All right. So there is one for Senior World at the
0: Hollow Town Centre for Ralph Breaks the Internet. It's on tonight at eighteen
2: hundred and twenty forty.
1: Ah, that's perfect. That's great. Thank you very Excellent.
2: much. And would you like to be connected to the cinema?
1: No, that's fine. I can give them a call later. All Thanks right. a lot. All
2: right. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Bye bye. Bye. To be fair, that was pretty painless. Yeah, I mean, she. You, you asked a
2: question. She was able to ask it answer it and actually i have no real complaint and it's important to remember that this uh these services are generally being used by people who don't have access to the internet for one reason or another um mostly that's elderly people um so i you know that there, there will always be a place especially if it's you know an actual person you're speaking to and that kind of thing it you know if, if you had a, a a question that would be difficult to answer i can see the value of it um i think it's overpriced but at the same time you know, it is a valuable service staffed by a human. So, you know, I think the cap is right, to be fair. But, uh, you know, how much longer they'll carry on anyway, remains to be seen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know, I I still think that I mean, that call that you just heard me uh, make, then will have cost me somewhere between five and seven pounds, I think. (laughs) I mean, that is
2: crackers, isn't it?
1: you know what i didn't want to spend any more time on is asking how much the cost of that ticket was because um that would have sort of been even more expensive but um but at least i know and obviously if anyone wants to go and see Ralph Breaks the Internet at Harlow uh, town cinema the cinema this evening you can so that's, well,
2: that's well, well, i'm also quite you know. interested in how they work because it was quite quick so i wonder yes. if she's pressing as you're asking questions if she's pressing a series of buttons on screen that are custom designed for the kind of query it is so for example you, as soon as you say i'd like to know when a cinema you know when a film is on she presses a button marked cinema you know there's a list of films she presses another one whether or not that's kind of thing or whether she's just literally typing it in as she goes who knows it, it's a, a probably quite an interesting thing to see how it works
1: yeah, I mean, I think if uh, if anybody wants to spend several hundred pounds and call them and ask them how their uh, the logistical operation behind their job works, then please do feel free. Um, uh, other calls are available. Now, the thing <laughs> is, 118118, which is the one I was just using there, uh, isn't even the most expensive. Uh, there's, uh, there's another one, a 90-second call uh, to which will cost you about £20, according to the BBC. That's 118004. I think, I think this uh, conversation has probably run its course. Um, but for those of you who are in the US uh, and would like to uh, compare this to whatever local service you have, by all means, please do. The most expensive one that we found was £20, which is about $25, $26 uh, to do the call you basically just heard me do. So um, let us know any local insights or from whatever your country of knowledge is. Then uh, let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Let's jump into the mailbag, Ian. Head first, if you don't mind, this week, I think. Um like Scrooge McDuck into gold. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, hi, Nate and Ian and sometimes Andy. I've been listening to the show since episode one and love it. Well, thank you very much, Adam. My anecdote is regarding Google and how much data they want about me. I have had a Google account for many years, but don't tend to install a lot of apps on my phone. I've paid for a few apps in the past, but none recently. Having used the Podcast Addict app for years now, I decided to donate to the app and support the developer. I was surprised to find out that I'm unable to do that, as Google cannot verify my identity." I was shown a link to a page that asks me to upload an image of my passport or government ID. There are some examples given why they may want this information, but nothing specific to my account. There's also no way to contact anyone in Google to discuss this, either by text, email or phone. I bought my daughter a tablet for Christmas and I'm unable to add a child account to it as it will not activate without a verified account. I've added a debit card and a credit card to the account. I'm using two-factor authentication. I've owned a number of Android phones, all using the same number since the Galaxy S1. They have my email, my calendar, my location, my contacts, and my files. Do they have me over a barrel? Do I have any choice as to whether or not to send them my passport and proof of address? None of my friends have had this issue, so why me? Thanks for any advice, Adam. (coughs) Now, excuse me. in the first instance, Ian, have you experienced this or heard anything about this no i haven't actually i, th- I found this very strange yeah it is I mean, indeed i mean i
2: i am aware of uh, uh, money laundering and i know that you do have to verify paypal accounts uh, in some way i don't think it's quite as advanced you don't need to send photo id but i definitely remember having to do something to verify my paypal account that i can't remember what it was now but um so i'm a sort of aware of that being a problem but not usually for standard stuff
1: Well, Adam, um, two things we're going to do for you here. Uh, The first, obviously, is that anybody listening to the podcast who has experienced this would be uh, highly encouraged to write in and and give us an example of their experience or, or, or anything related to this. The second thing is I am going to uh, strip away any identifying details and have a word with some people that I know at Google and see if I can find an answer out to this uh, directly from the horse's mouth or the mouth of any obligate nasal breather uh, you may wish to envisage me asking for answers. <laughs> I'm going to go for horse, as that is the tradition. Um, that is the tradition. And then we'll we'll get back to you, uh, hopefully, next week with a bit of an answer. Um, so don't do anything too uh, hasty until then.
2: Why would they be so funny about it when it's a relatively small amount of money?
1: Yeah, I mean, Andy in the chat room says when he uh, signed up to PayPal years ago, he remembers getting a code through the post, and I actually remember that as well. But the thing with PayPal is that PayPal has to do a lot in terms of anti-money laundering. And yes. that's one of the reasons why it has to put people through a slightly additional set of uh, hurdles or challenges in order to get verified. But for a Google account... Which makes account, sense. complete. Ma- yeah. I don't really you have a Because you can pay people that. actual
2: money. Like it's an actual you know, it's a person-to-person transfer. It's like being with a bank or something like that. I think of PayPal as being more of a bank than it is anything else. I suppose the only argument would be that Google might think you'd set up an app and then pay it yourself and use that money to get around paying tax. But there is really no way you could do that and it would cost you so much in fees to do
1: it, it wouldn't be worth it anyway. Like a doctor specialising in the colon- We are going to get to the bottom of this, Andy, for you, and we will get back to you. So hang tight, remain on the edge of your seat. We will come back with answers, all being well. And if you have one of those answers, of course, do let us know, as well as any questions. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Text message, of course, keeps you informed about the British tech landscape. uh, But let's check in with our friends at Daily Tech News Show, Tom Merritt, in the US, and hear what's been happening in the wider world of global technology over the last seven days. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we gave an explanation of Amazon's rising antitrust issues in the EU, talked about tech that soldiers use to keep in touch with their families, how a French ruling on GDPR could threaten the entire ad industry, depending on how it gets interpreted in the future, and Patrick Norton's audio gift picks for audio lovers. All that and much more at Show.com. Back to you. Thank you, Tom. In fact, our chat room says thank you, Tom, as well. To summarize, thank you, Tom. And thank you to our patrons supporting us every week. If you're not yet a patron, but would like to become one, get our ad-free extended version of each week's show, listen and interact with us as we record live, as many people have been doing this week. And thank you to you guys for joining us too. All you have to do is head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. And remember, nothing says happy Christmas or happy Hanukkah or happy whatever you celebrate during the December uh, month then subscribing to our Patreon for a (laughs) no-risk trial. Uh, Maybe you can help us finish this month with one more Patreon than we had last month.
2: Yeah, and uh, one of the other things that makes us very happy is when you send comments to us, and it's hello at techpodcast.uk. You can follow us on Twitter uh, at textmessagepod to keep up to date with the most important UK tech headlines throughout the week. And thanks to everyone listening to us on our free ad-supported feed. If you have a minute to leave a review for us on iTunes, it's the best
1: way of supporting us without spending a penny. And if you are absolutely uh, craving some additional Nate in your ear diet, mixed metaphors there, Crikey. Um, I know. then simply listen to This Week in Tech. Uh, today, I don't know what the episode number is, but I'm going to be on This Week in Tech with Leo Laporte um, so if you're listening to this on probably Monday onwards then you should be able to find uh, an episode with me talking about hopefully a different range of topics to what you've just heard me talk about for <laughs> the last 40 minutes or so um, but uh, until then, or until next week, from me Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris, we'll see you in Iron Vodka. That's one week. Yes, it is. You've been
0: listening to Text Message with your host, Nate Langson. If you get value from the show, please consider joining our many supporters on Patreon. You can get access to a version of the show every week with no ads. And as much as 40% more discussion every time. There's no obligation, so why not try a month by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech or looking for the link in this episode's description.